G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Camille, only a week or so back from Europe and the Middle East. Welcome home. Have you adjusted yet to those issues of jet lag? Yes, I have. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I well, have experienced adjusting to it. <laughs> Camille, a big topic to talk about today, and you've been right in the middle of where things have been uh, happening, in a sense, uh, global change that's been going on before your very eyes, as it has been ours too. But as we've looked at the election that just went by in the UK, you were in the UK when that uh, general election was happening there. You're also interested in a number of other elections that have been going on around the world and a few quirky, strange oddities that have been showing themselves with the way that elections are either promoted or, in fact, the way that voters don't go along with what the general pollsters think will happen for an election. Uh, Let's just get a few... Before we get into uh, politics and uh, general trends that are happening around the world, though, uh, let me ask you about... Uh, your general perceptions of what's going on around the world, places like the Middle East, and uh, there you've been observing things from your European base. Uh, but what's uh, what are your thoughts about changes that are happening in the world today? Well, Neil, it appears that we have a lot of activity going on. And I don't just mean people living busy lives. It's just so much occurring at a dizzying pace. It's almost like a runaway train, (laughs) and we're just hoping we can find a slope to go up so that it'll slow the train down. I've been a world watcher for at least two decades and teaching on it and so on, but uh, I've never seen anything like this. It's just so much concentrated, intense activity that nobody can keep up with it, except, of course, Almighty God himself. But some of the, the key things, of course, have to do with nuclear negotiations with Iran that has been very much a focus of the Obama administration and European partners, but also situation in the Middle East, which uh, continue to be uh, complex, intense, and in some cases, of course, there's conflict. But also there's economic issues and social issues, and that's across the board in so many places. But, of course, one of the things that we'll probably end up talking about sooner or later in this segment is that in less than five months, in the year 2015, three national elections have ended up with three shock results that confounded pollsters and confounded the media and I think even confounded the candidates themselves. The the results that happened were not what were predicted. And that I find incredibly fascinating, among all the other things that are going on in the world today. Well, it's interesting, Camille, because I guess in destinations, uh, when you talk about the UK, and I know the other two elections you were talking about, the election in Sri Lanka and the election in Israel, uh, there'll have been a lot of commentary that's been happening in those countries 
uh, about those elections that have gone on. But from your perspective, as a Aussie who was raised in America, a Palestinian uh, uh, generational background that you have, uh, spending that time in the UK and a love of the Middle East. When you think of all of these things, all of these challenges and these changes that are going on, uh, and you identify there's some unusual things that are happening, how do you describe those unusual things in light of what you understand as, as a Christian leader? All right. Well, first of all, I believe... The second psalm, Psalm 2, which is only 12 verses, <laughs> has some pertinent things to say about the days in which we live. It talks about why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, like a stirring among the nations. I know the term heathen doesn't sound very good, but that's the, the King James, which is <laughs> the version I've learned to memorize from. But the, the thing is, Lots of stirring, lots of raging, oh, and they don't necessarily know why this is happening. They just know it is happening. It's an unsettledness, a restlessness, a looking for answers, a looking for, dare I say it, leadership. There's a lot of stirring that it talks about in the second psalm, and it actually tells us why there's a stirring. And the reason for the stirring and the fact that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, it says, against the Lord and against his anointed. So it's like the kings of the earth know that Christ the king is coming, and they want to do everything in their power to prevent it. Now, that's how we would understand the psalm. But how does that translate into our situation today? Well, I don't think... I dare say any world leader is consciously saying to themselves, I think Jesus Christ is returning, and I really don't want that to happen because I'd be out of a job, so I'm going to do what I can to stop. I don't think at a normal human level that is something that's consciously on people's mind. But I think most of us know we also, in a very spiritual world, that are biblically knowledgeable also know that that spiritual world is highly concentrated. So even if people don't know, the spiritual forces do know, and they can stir people up into action. A very good example of that was in the Gospels, when Jesus was sailing to the east side of the Lake of Galilee, and there was a storm, a big storm, which, of course, he stilled. As soon as he gets to the other side, he meets a gathering demoniac, who... Uh, basically uh, tells his identity. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The interesting thing is, do you think the demons and the demoniac knew Jesus was coming? The answer is yes, they did. Do you think they was trying to, in, in their own funny way, stop him from coming? Yes, I believe they did. Of course, they failed, and they failed to prevent their expulsion from the demoniac. So I, I say that not only is there a lot of activity going on in the normal human socioeconomic political realm, but I think it's even more intense in the spiritual realm, and, and that the spiritual realm can stir up the human realm, hence the restlessness in the nations. And it is a dimension that you just don't hear talked about in the secular media. And uh, we're going to be talking about it today. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
It's Neil with you. 2020, our special guest this hour, Dr. Camille Majdali from Teach All Nations. And you'll know, Camille, from Faith and the Future that you can hear during 2020 each day. Camille, I think we've got our telephone issue fixed. Uh, where were we in talking about uh, this issue? Uh, we were talking about uh, a whole bunch Prophecy. of challenges. Prophecy, uh, the yeah. Bible, uh, the events of today. Can we say that those events that are happening today are a part of an understanding of what happens in end times? Well, some of the events we're talking about might have what I call an end time application. Other events probably much more assuredly have an end time application. It just depends on the event and it depends on the interpretation. But the thing that I understand in general about Bible prophecy is that, among many things, there will be intensity of living. And Jesus talked about that. People will marry and give in marriage and eating and drinking and all this. I mean, none of these things are technically bad in themselves, but it's the intensity of which they're done. Almost like you you have to hurry and do all this because (laughs) the door might close and the ark will be no longer accessible, that kind of thing. So, yeah, some of the things may apply to prophecy and some of the events probably more definitely do. Okay, which ones do you identify that you certainly can say this has a alignment with what we would read in the Bible? I mean, you know, this whole idea of picking up the Bible and reading about the end times and saying this is the last days. And, you know, we've talked on earlier occasions about the difficulties that that sometimes does create. But are there things that you can identify around the world today and you say, well, this is the sort of thing that as you read the Bible, you can say this has to be, or the evidence is there so strongly that this is an end time issue? Oh boy, that's a that's a very <laughs> good one, Neil. I, I'm not even sure where to start. But one of the issues which, to me, is very close to home, and I think could very well have a end time application, has to do, and it's not a good thing either, but it has to do with increased anti-Semitism in the world, as well as increased anti-Christian persecution. Both these these entities, if I call it uh, the Jewish people and anti-Semitism or Christians, they represent Judeo-Christianity, or let's put it this way, by the Bible and the God of the Bible. Both of them are representatives, and both these groups are facing increased pressure, discrimination, vilification, physical harm, and, and the rest. Is this something that would be said in the end times? Well, I think so, because it does speak of, in the, uh, how does it say it? Paul said to Timothy, please note that in the last days, perilous times will come. So it's not a picnic, it's a perilous time. But I also need to hasten to add, even in the last days with perilous times, that's not the whole story, because we also know that it says the path of the just is a shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day. So how do you have persecution of Jews and Christians on one hand, and perilous times, but you have an increasing light to the perfect day? And that brings me to the topic that one of the ways we understand the nature of the last days is it's not just all clouds and doom and gloom. Last days actually represent a time of contrast. 
where darkness becomes darker, light becomes brighter. So the darkness will, of course, try to quench the light, hence attack anything that represents or symbolizes Almighty God, which in this case could be Judeo-Christians. Right, a fabulous response to that question. And uh, listeners might like to contribute to this conversation. You might have your own thoughts about last times, the events that are going on in the world. 1-800-316-316 to be a part of our conversation today. Dr. Camille Magdaly, our guest from Teach All Nations and our special Faith in the Future uh, collaboration that you can hear each day here on 2020. Let's take a call from Erica in Mount Nathan in Queensland. Hello, Erica. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you. I'm Erica, what are your thoughts? I'm just a little retired Christian. What can I do on a personal and even national level, especially the spiritual aspect? And question number two, are the Muslims the biggest threat? Okay, Camille, uh, what do we do personally, and are the Muslims the biggest threat? Okay. Uh, Erica, first of all, what you can do personally, never underestimate the power of a person of faith and obedience to God. One of the things every believing Christian should do is they should be a person of ever-increasing fervent effectual prayer. And prayer does make a difference. In fact, if we ever get on the topic, which I think we will, about the upset elections, all these upset elections were upset because of prayer. Every single one of them was undergirded with lots of prayer, lots of prayer and faith, lots of calling out to God, and not to say God takes sides in elections per se, but he will do what will facilitate his will. So prayer is important. Second thing is being informed about some of the key issues. Sometimes you may have to go to alternate sources to the to the regular media, not because they're all bad or terrible people, but it's just there's so much going on. And so being informed of issues is, is incredibly helpful. That's two things. Where necessary, especially when it comes to persecution of Jews or Christians, we can also serve as advocates. And that means we speak to those people who are in a position to do something, like, for example, our elected representatives, or it could be people in business who somehow would have a vested interest in seeing Jews and Christians uh, treated better, in other words, advocacy. So those are the things you can do. Now, as far as Muslim people are concerned, and I've had a lot to do with Muslim people in my life, and of course I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East and acquainted with many, I view Muslim people as not a threat but as an opportunity. They are, for the most part, if you have anything to do with the average Muslim, they are among the nicest people you'll ever meet. It's just, and very hospitable and all that. And look, you know, we're in many of their home countries, we can't do what we're able to do in Australia, and that's share God's love and God's word and God's gospel. So let's see it as an opportunity, not a threat, because after all, they themselves are, in many cases, especially in North Africa and in the Middle East, they are the the biggest victims of, of terrorism and of jihadism that there is. So I think that paradigm can be uh, incredibly helpful. 
Erica from Mount Nathan in Queensland, thank you so much for your contribution today here on 2020. Uh, Let's pick up on that issue with those elections, Camille, because when you say, well, those elections around the world and the three we were identifying, the Sri Lankan election, the Israeli election and the UK elections, and you were in the UK when that election was happening, uh, one of the biggest things that you've noticed is that the polling that... Uh, and the predictions that were happening before the elections just didn't come to pass. And you, you're saying that actually prayer is an, an issue here. Well, that's what I—that's what I've been led to understand. Let me put it this way: I've never—I can't remember seeing such a string of elections where it was totally unpredicted what the outcome would be. So, for example, in Sri Lanka. 8th of January, 2015, they had a presidential election. They had, of course, the incumbent president, Mahinda Rajapaksa. He was uh, slated to win, and he he is the man that won the civil war in Sri Lanka. It ended in 2009. After that, he pretty much uh, tightened his grip on power, and it just looked like, yeah, he was going to just cruise in and get in office for a third term. He actually changed the Constitution so he could have a third term because they had term limits. And then his former Minister of Health puts his hand up and they had all the the other thing in Sri Lanka, they had all the sort of the normal unsavory activities happening. For example, uh, press freedom was curbed and media abuse and there was violence, I mean violence that was accompanying the campaign and even possible misappropriation of government uh, agencies and all that kind of stuff. Some of the unfortunately normal things that might happen. Yet despite all that, the challenger won. And and when he won, then there was rumors it'd be a coup and, and then he'd be, you know, not taking office. But it didn't happen. And I was told from some very reliable sources from Sri Lanka that there had been a major prayer intensive for God's will to be done in that election. So they now have a new president. (laughs) I think he's just as surprised as everyone else that he's in office. And one of the things he said, I'm going to go from an executive presidency back to more of a Westminster-style cabinet, which, of course, is more accountable, more equitable, and hopefully much more democratic. Interesting when we talk about prayer for elections, because you know most of us come from a persuasion one way or another. In Australia, we'd be thinking of either conservative or uh, or a Labor left leaning. And uh, and interesting when we pray, we're often often I guess uh, thinking of 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 what the prayer outcome might be according to our own desires. When you say uh, that uh, you know God is the one who puts these governments in power and as a result of prayer uh, how do you you know put uh, two and two together here and say well I'm going to pray the outcome might be God's will but it might not be the outcome that I was actually desiring when I was praying well we have really no choice Neil uh, we are commanded to pray and that's in first Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 we're to pray for all men for kings and all who are in authority. We, that is what we have to do. And there was one election, I won't name which one, <laughs> here in Australia, where the outcome would have been uh, not what was desired with, say, conservative Bible-believing Christians. And I still remember a commentator said, look, at the end of the day, God's still on the throne, we'll accept the verdict, and let's just pray and move on with it. So, we have to have that attitude. And besides, 
in a democracy, if it's properly functioning, let's say a candidate makes all kinds of promises, and some of them are promises we'd rather he or she not keep because they go against our biblical convictions, look, they still have to run a gauntlet before that thing they're promising actually comes to pass. So we, do, we are called to trust God no matter what. We're called to trust God even if it doesn't make sense in our minds. And knowing this, that we trust God, we'll never be put to shame. Having said that, on the other hand, there are numerous examples of where there has been concerted prayer for an election or for something in a nation, and the prayer made the massive difference. In the Philippines, 1986, when Marcos gave way to, to uh, Mrs. Aquino, Cory Aquino, that was called the, uh, I can't remember what revolution, like the flowers of the rose, they put the, the, the flowers in the bayonets, or in the guns of the, the soldiers. But it was a people power revolution, and there was tons of prayer over that one. Lots of it. The same when South Africa changed government from apartheid to majority rule. Lots of prayer over that, because they were predicting massacre and bloodbath and civil war in South Africa if there was a change of government. It didn't happen. And the same with the Gulf War of 1991. Lots of prayer for that. And that war, which was meant to last for months and months and months, was only 43 days. I mean, that's still 43 days too long, but it's a lot different to what it could have been. And again, that was bathed in prayer too. Well, an interesting topic to be talking about. Let's get your impressions about the second of the elections, the election in Israel. Uh, you're saying that there was a prayer outcome there as well. Apparently there was lots of prayer uh, in Israel. I'm, I'm talking about Christian prayer. I'm not saying there wasn't Jewish prayer, too, but uh, definitely Christian prayer. I need to be really careful here, and I want to make it clear for anyone listening. I don't believe God is a politician. I don't believe God endorses political parties. I don't believe God, we can call him left-wing or right-wing or conservative or liberal or anything like that. God is above all, and he represents all. So... If we pray for an election and you have an upset and it seems to be good, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is endorsing everything that the winning candidate is going to do. That's not necessarily the case. But what we are praying for is that his will be done and what's, that basically the country gets the government it needs rather than the government it deserves. That's really what we're praying for. Now, back to the situation in Israel, I was... Uh, happened to be leading Holy Land tours <laughs> when they had the election campaign, and then, of course, the actual election. I was there for that, too. And what was interesting, first of all, you should see the campaign posters. Some of them were rather amazing. They had one. I'll, I'll never forget this. I took a photo. They have a Shas party, which is, a, I think, ultra-Orthodox religious party, founded by a rabbi that died not long ago in his 90s, Ovadia Yosef. And what the poster had was a picture of Avadia Yosef leaning over a balcony. And that's implying, of course, he's in heaven. And down below is all these multitudes, which are his followers. And it basically said in Hebrew, Father is looking for you or at you from above. And this was a campaign poster. So, yeah, you've got this guy allegedly in heaven looking down on his followers. And this was plastered all over the place, you know. And there were, there were many others, too. But the thing is, in Israel, the media 
without question, is very, very left-leaning. I mean, they could give lessons to the rest of the Western world on how to lean to the left. They uh, they were attacking the incumbent prime minister, left, right, and center, and, of course, the opposition candidates were doing the same, which is, of course, their job to do. One of them was the Labour Party, Isaac Herzog, combined with Sippy Livni, and they formed what is called the Zionist Union. And they were attacking Netanyahu, maybe rightly so, I can't say, but uh, that he uh, was neglecting the economic concerns of the average person in Israel, because their wages aren't that high, but prices are. So sometimes people have to work two and three jobs and that kind of thing. So he may or may not be guilty of that. And then on top of that, they, the Arab parties had a united Arab list. Now, yes, there are Arab parliamentarians in Israel, and they have like five parties or something, everything from nationalists to jihadists to communists, and they all united. Now, I mean, that's a very interesting combination. What they had in common is that they're all ethnic Israeli Arabs and that they all actually uh, they form an effective permanent opposition because they actually probably more represent de facto the Palestine Authority in the Israeli parliament than they do Israel itself. And that's pretty much what they said. So they too were attacking Netanyahu and they you know they said we're going to get lots of votes and we're going to put you out of business. So he basically told his followers get out and vote because the Arab parties are out to get me. He was accused of racism. I frankly in that case don't think it was so. He's talking about political opposition here, nothing necessarily to do with with race, but as it turned out, the media said that uh, Herzog is going to win and, and, and Netanyahu will be out and everyone's tired of him and this or that and the other. But when it came to it, by the end of election night, he was back in. Mm. And the polls kept saying otherwise. And just apparently he's now had his government sworn in and getting his coalition, because it's always a hung parliament in Israel, he got it at the 11th hour, literally within hours. If that didn't happen, then the president of Israel, Ruben Rifkin, would have to... Uh, have turned to somebody else. Uh, is God endorsing Netanyahu or his policies? I, I can't say that. What I can say is some of the things he represents perhaps is what Israel needs at the moment, especially with the Middle Eastern turmoil. He represents a strong hand against terrorism, and he represents security. That's what I guess people wanted, and that's why, despite their misgivings on other areas, they returned him to power. I liked what you were saying when we pray, and we're talking about prayer in relation to these major upsets for what was predicted before an election. When we pray, what we're actually asking is for the government that a nation needs, not necessarily for the one that they deserve. It's Neil with you, 2020, our guest this hour, Dr. Camille Magdaly from Teach All Nations. You'll know his name from Faith and the Future. You can hear each day here on 2020. He's just back from Europe and the Middle East. We're talking about the changes that are going on around the world and particularly focusing on a number of issues to do with elections around the world and the power of prayer that appears to have made a difference in a number of those elections. We'll talk some more about that in just a few moments. You can be a part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call, this one from Val in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Val. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Hello, Val. What are your thoughts on our discussion today? Um, Well, it's my belief that we are in a spiritual battle 
for the earth. And it's a battle for the inheritance that began way back in the Old Testament. And uh, the inheritance for the Jews is, of course, the land. But for the spiritual descendants of Abraham, it is the earth. Romans 4.13 says that the earth is our inheritance. And just as Israel had to battle to possess the land, so we have to battle to possess the earth. And we are against spiritual forces. And we fight the battle mainly with prayer and proclamation. Uh, Val, but let's we need he- to know we win. Let's hear from Camille. Camille, your thoughts on what Val's sharing. Well, I think it's very interesting <clears throat> what Val is sharing. And... <clears throat> I would uh, I would just highlight a couple of things. One, we've been given an assignment from the Lord called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not limited to just being around the block, but around the world. And we're to go and make disciples of all nations. But I also note that it says in the 37th Psalm and also in uh, Matthew 5, the same verse, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so, to me, of course, meekness is a very powerful biblical quality that's really misunderstood. People think it means mousy and a pushover and and very weak. But actually what it is 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 an inner grace where we in ourselves decrease, but Christ in us, the hope of glory, increases so that it's Christ in us that helps us to inherit the earth. It's Christ in us that takes Christ's yoke upon us because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So yes, we do have a role to play, and it is a spiritual role, and it's one that's totally and absolutely compliant on working and partnering with the Lord. Of course, he's the senior partner, and we're the junior ones. But, you know, he does all the heavy lifting, he does all the heavy pulling, but it's up to us to do things according to his terms, timing, and territory. So yes, we do have a spiritual role to play, and the more we will press into spiritual things, the more fruit we will reap for him. Val from Mackay, thanks so much for your comments about the spiritual battle. Uh, Sometimes I think, Camille, uh, that when we hear about uh, spiritual battles in church life, in perhaps our local church, it's often about the personal spiritual battles that we ourselves face. Uh, Do we have to lift our eyes a little higher and recognize that the battle is more than what's going on in our own personal space? Well, it's always a good thing to look beyond the four walls in any area of life, especially because God wants us to be big-picture people looking at the harvest field rather than just looking at one little corner of the harvest field. Uh, Yeah, we do. Look, if we have a spiritual battle that's personal, be it in the church or just in your own life, obviously it has to be addressed because you'll have no peace otherwise. But at the same time, it's one of the things I'm constantly trying to instill in people wherever I go, in churches and beyond, that we are to lift up our eyes and look at the field. We're to pray Messiah's Prayer at Psalm 2, verse 8, to ask God for the nations. And I believe that's a prayer that God honors and God is pleased with, that we need to, the more we focus on the outside things that God calls us to, like the nations and the Great Commission and discipleship, the more fulfilled and blessed we are. But we have to be careful. The more we focus on, you know, local things, or not even local, personal, like me, me, it's all about me, 
the more miserable we become. And unfortunately, there's a lot of emphasis on me and self <laughs> rather than on the things that please God. But as Jesus said it best, if you seek to save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you find it. And I believe that means, among other things, forget about yourself and focus on the Lord and his kingdom, and you're going to find yourself, your true self, your best self, as a result. Okay, we've been talking about some of the big issues around the world and a focus on some of the elections that have held, been held just recently. Uh, you can be a part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. Camille, let's uh, talk about the third election that uh, you've been writing about of recent times, and that is the election in the UK. You were in the UK when the election was on, uh, and the uh, the prayer, again, uh, seems to have made a, a huge difference. Well, there was a lot of prayer, I believe, for the UK election. I'm not, again, saying that God, like, supports one candidate over another or this or that. Again, I believe God is above politics. But at the same time, I especially remember the campaign was, by Australian standards, very long in the UK. I mean, it went on for months, it seemed like. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, they have just come out of a Scottish independence referendum in September of last year. And that referendum probably was even more divisive, rancorous, uncivil than even the Republican referendum we had in Australia in 1999. Now, that's. That referendum in 1999, it happened, it happened in the, how should you say, at the best tradition of the Australian Constitution. The people declined the change, and that's that. The lead-up to our referendum was not always very nice. And what I say is, when I saw what was happening with the Scottish referendum and then with the British uh, general election, it reminded me of 1999, if not more so. So Scotland... That almost, in a sense, was a shock. Uh, what do you call it? Either result in Scotland for independence would have been a shock, because initially it was thought the Scots won't do it. But then the independence people, the SMP, Scottish Nationalist Party, they were powering ahead. And then one point, they actually, close to the referendum, they looked like they were going to win. They, they actually crossed the line as far as the poll was concerned, or polls. And then, as it turned out, they had the exact same result in the Scottish referendum for independence as we did in the Australian Republican referendum, 55% against and 45% for. Now, it's in the aftermath of that that you have the English, or sorry, not the English, the British general election, and that same party, the Scottish Nationalist Party, which is more left-wing even than the British Labour Party, is they were poised to take many seats in Westminster from the Labour Party in Scotland. As it turned out, they went from, I think, six seats to 56 seats. Now, that's what the polls were saying. The SMP were going to get 56 seats, but they also said the two major parties, that's the Tories, Conservatives, or the Labour Party, they, neither would get a majority, it'd be a hung parliament, and both parties would be dependent on smaller parties. Well, the SMP would never, ever go in coalition with the Tories, but they would with Labour, and they said, look, we'll put Ed Miliband, the Labour candidate, in office, but this is our price tag. And they were apparently talking about £150 billion of 
social services and spending and entitlements or this or that. Britain is trying very hard to reduce its deficit. And this would, of course, have the opposite effect. And the Labour Party apparently said, well, we won't go in coalition with the SNP, but, you know, nobody knew for sure. But the, the key thing, Neil, is they said it's going to be a hung parliament, no majorities, smaller parties will have the balance of power, so on and so on and so forth. That's what they kept saying, and that's what the polls were showing. Then comes election day. Mr. Cameron, the Tory leader, the current prime minister, he gets his majority, no coalition, and uh, the SNP is uh, effectively now in opposition. Interesting outcomes in all three of the elections that you've highlighted, Camille. Interesting to reflect, too, on our home soil, and you've been back uh, on our soil from your uh, jaunt off to Europe and to the Middle East, and you probably caught the federal budget announcements this week from the Treasurer, Joe Hockey, and then last night there was a budget reply. Not sure how across you are all that detail, except to just raise the point that a lot of commentary has been made about the idea that there may well be an early election in Australia. Uh, there is a manoeuvring that way. When uh, Joe Hockey delivered his budget, people were saying, well, this sounds like an election budget to me. And then, of course, last night's uh, budget reply from uh, the opposition leader, it sounded like, well, this sounds like a uh, a pre-election type of a push as well. Uh, If we were heading that way, how important, Camille, would it be for us to be a prayerful people as Christians for the outcome of what may be an early election in Australia? Well, I think the answer is pretty clear. We should be praying morning, noon, and night, election or no election. (laughs) (laughs) To me, sometimes the election is the lesser issue. It's what happens in between the elections that actually makes the major difference. We have to remember, sometimes we ascribe to politicians and even to government powers that only belong to God. I mean, no government and no politician is omnipotent or omnipresent. And there's a lot of things that governments just cannot do, and only God can. So to me, being prayerful, informed and prayerful, is vitally important for all responsible spiritual citizens, whether there's election or not. It probably, and I could just imagine that uh, if there was an election sooner than later, uh, we can almost see how it's going to be, how the media will play, what kind of uh, attention the current government will have and the opposition will have. I, I, can almost, I can almost set a script to what it will be. And we could be up for another surprise as well. But you know what? I think ultimately I'd rather keep the surprises to a minimum, pray, seek God, and let him speak to us by the Holy Spirit, about things to come, because I think that's really how as Christians we should be. As God's people, we seek his face, he shows us what will be, and we can pray intelligently accordingly and and really make a difference more in the prayer closet than in the ballot box. But having said that, of course, I believe we should be informed voters and we should exercise a democratic right, apart from the fact that we do have compulsory voting in Australia. Remember, in most of the world, they don't. And I still encourage people to vote wherever they are. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
It's Neil with you. 2020, Dr. Camille Magdaly from Teach All Nations. He's our guest this hour. We're talking through a bunch of things, uh, global upsets, and a focus on some of the elections that have been held of recent times. Uh, in that last segment, Camille, we were talking about uh, the possibility of Australia perhaps going to uh, the polls early based on the sorts of announcements that were coming through in the budget and last night's budget reply. Uh, just get your perspectives here. Uh, there is a sense in which... Uh, governments are elected according to their economic policies, uh, but and that's primary. Uh, the secondary way that governments are coloured is by their moral policies. And, uh, and this is the interesting aspect here where I, I suspect a lot of the conversations on this program 2020 uh, focus on some of these moral issues. Uh, the the uh, economic issues primary, moral issues secondary. Should that be the case? You were alluding to the idea that, uh, you know, there are governments that are trying to control things that only God can control. Mm. Good question, Neil. If I take it from a Old Testament perspective, it appears that the Bible was actually rating the kings of Israel and Judah and would say they did that which is right in the sight of the Lord or they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it had really nothing to do with their economic policy, military prowess, or social services. It had to do, of course, with whether they, as king, helped to improve the moral climate in the, in the land, as well as faithfulness to God. As it turned out, of 39 kings of Judah and Israel, only eight were called good or done what was right in the sight of the Lord. So it really issues of spirituality and uh, morals were an issue. Now, of course, this was, in ancient Israel, it was a theocracy basically, with a temple and the priests had to say and all that. We're now in a how should we call it, secular parliamentary democracy, with separation of church and state. So, no, we're not a theocracy. And we have to be a little, uh, I don't know, what's the term, flexible or understanding. That's a, that's a major difference between what you read in the Bible and what we have today. Therefore, back to the question, economics seems to come first in most people's priority, moral second. How should we respond to it? I think we need to... Uh, well, uh, theoretically speaking, we should, of course, focus on moral, because if our moral climate is downhill, then I don't think our economy is going to do that wonderful either. It may do it temporarily, but uh, Scripture says righteousness exalts a nation, sins a reproach for any people. But having said that, the other issue, Neil, is that sometimes even the major parties may not be a whole lot different on moral issues. Where does that leave the, the Christian then? Well, I guess they can vote for smaller parties that have preferences for parties that may be less disagreeable. It's not an easy choice. It's not so straightforward now. It's not so black and white. But yes, I think the Church should stand up for moral principles. That's, In fact, we're expected to do that. And when we fail to do that, it causes more head-scratching than you can imagine. So let's stand up for what we believe, whether it's an election or not and stay faithful to it. At least in Australia, we do have several key lobby groups that are Christian and are doing a really good job of putting the biblical traditional case uh, to the politicians, and we're now being listened to, which wasn't the case, say, 20 years ago. So that's a positive change. 
The value of our Christian foundations when winds of change are blowing. This is an important thing for Christians to take note of, Camille. I think it's important, but to take note of it, we first of all have to learn it. There's a lot about our history and heritage, I dare say, we don't know. And until we uh, learn it, it's going to be hard to appreciate it. So every effort to inform people about our background, the Constitution of Australia, the fact that that Constitution starts off with the phrase, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God, I mean, that's incredible. That's like the first words at <laughs> the, the beginning of the Constitution. And, and learning these things in such a way that it should inspire us to take constructive, positive action, standing up for what is right, but doing so in a spirit of love and graces, which is what people would expect from Christians. If we can do that, I know we'll go much further, and the blessing of God will be upon us. Uh, Well, time running out, when we talk about constitutions, and you're quoting our Australian constitution there, and there are governments around the world abandoning constitutions, and some of those perhaps that have Christian foundations involved in them. Uh, We talked about uh, issues like lower educational standards and media that indoctrinates rather than informs. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to enlarge on this, uh, except to say that uh, in a note uh, that I was reading of yours, uh, in all of these challenges uh, where these winds of change are blowing, you say that the uh, the real uh, solution is, of course, revival. Uh, I'll point people to uh, Teach All Nations. Simply, you can Google Teach All Nations, Dr. Camille Magdaly, and uh, find out some more about Camille. And, of course, uh, he's our guest regularly on Faith in the Future. Camille, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Pleasure, Neil. Thank you as well. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.